There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist, Jesus' older cousin. It's an interesting story, maybe a, a, a bit of an obscure story in the whole big Christmas story. He was called the forerunner, the one who came to prepare the way for Jesus and Jesus' ministry. He came not to die for the sins of humanity, not to save each and every one of us from our sins, not to die a sacrificial death on the cross, but he came to tell of the one who would be Emmanuel, God with us. He was to be the introduction of Jesus, the one who was God incarnate, as we talked about last week. He would play a vital role in the story of redemption as he would be the one to introduce not only Jesus, but he would introduce Jesus' ministry. And as we learn later on, this man named John went on to humbly baptize the Son of God and prepare him for ministry. John and his mother Elizabeth and his father Zechariah, a priest, played a huge but perhaps more obscure role in the whole Christmas story. Their future would become a very important one in the man God story. But my guess is, is if you ask Elizabeth and Zechariah on this day or maybe this night that an angel whose name was Gabriel came to visit them or to visit Zechariah, they would say, there's no way that God could use our future. Absolutely not. We're simple people. We really have nothing of any significance to offer humanity. And in fact, we don't even have a son. There's really not much to speak about or talk about or to give great news about when you consider our family and our heritage. They, I'm sure, would admit that the future as they saw it that day was pretty dark. And I would imagine that today on Christmas 2013, that there are some of you who walked in these doors this morning and you would say, yeah, just like Zachariah and just like Elizabeth, my future really is not that bright. In fact, it's very, very dark. Today, I believe, is going to be a day for, of hope for you and a day of promise about the future for you. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. I hope you're doing well. My name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor. So glad that you have joined with us. I want to welcome those of you who are joining via our podcast. And we are, uh, when you came in today, you received a worship folder. I just want to draw your attention to that. I want to encourage you to follow along in the notes. And if you would rather, you can get online. Uh, we have free Wi-Fi here and you can access our uh, website or you can access our app and you can follow along with the notes and the verses as well online. And uh, we're glad to be able to offer that for you uh, this morning. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John 1. We're going to be in John 1 just briefly, and then we're going to skip over and we're going to be in Luke 1 for most of the morning. Two of the Gospels, we're going to be in the first chapter of two of the Gospels, the message of Jesus as we look this Christmas season at the everlasting light. I want to encourage you 
uh, if you have your Bible, to bring it along with you on Sundays. But I also want to say to those of you who don't own a Bible, um, we can provide you with one at the guest service desk uh, back there. But each and every week we have the verses on the screen so that you can follow along. And before we dive in this morning, I'm just going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer if you would do that this morning. God, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and the mercy that you showed us when you sent your son to this world to become the everlasting light for all of humanity. But God, I pray this Christmas season in 2013 as we consider what the everlasting light means, God, I pray that it would not just be a far away, distant application to us, God, but that we would realize that the everlasting light came to shine light on us for each one of us. God, I pray that you would help us personalize it. Spirit, today I pray that you would lead us into wisdom and into knowledge and that you would guide our time together. And Father God, I pray specifically for those who walked in here today and the future as they see it looks really dark. It looks extraordinarily hopeless. God, I pray that today be the day that they receive hope about their future. A hope that can only be found in a relationship with you. God, for those who walked in here today and they're skeptical about Christmas and the Christmas season, I pray that you would speak to them, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them in a unique and personal way. And God, for those who came in today and they're Christ followers and perhaps they've drifted from you, God, I pray that today is a day where they get back to you being the centerpiece, being the fixed point in their life as they look towards the future. Guide us this morning. God, I pray that my words would not be mine, but they, may they be yours this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's interesting, as I began this summer to think about Christmas, um, I would have some conversations with different people and it asked me, what do you think about doing at Christmas time? I really got centered around this idea of light and I felt like God was leading us as a church to kind of investigate the Bible, investigate scripture and all the different aspects of what light is. I mean, light kind of signifies Christmas. I don't, I don't know about your family, but here on Hilton Head Island, we have a, a seven-year-old, and we have a uh, almost seven-year-old, and a uh, nine-year-old, and she's going on about 18. Um, so anyway, so that's good. But uh, every time we drive down 278 and we pass the fire station at night, we have to drive through. Anybody else do that? I mean, every time. Like, if we have two minutes of time to spare, we're driving through the fire station there on 278 Mid-Island um, to see the lights. And Christmas is really signified by light. It, it's become that way over the, the centuries. But why is that the case? Why is light such an important part of Christmas? Well, it really goes back to Scripture. It's really rooted deep in Scripture. In fact, in one of the most important passages in all of Scripture, John chapter 1, which is just filled with uh, the study of God, filled with theology about who God is and what he's done to redeem mankind. In that passage, John, the the gospel writer and one of the apostles of Jesus, actually um, defines the fact that Jesus came to be the light. And so in this series, we've been discussing that. We've been talking about what does that mean? And in week one, we discovered that Jesus being the everlasting light means that he brought light into the world, into a very dark world. 
And if we really stop and think about for a moment the world around us, it's filled with darkness. It's filled with the darkness of sin and evil and the consequences of such. And God made a decision to give his only son to this world, to humanity, to bring light into darkness. And we talked about that in week one. Last week, we talked about the fact that God brought Jesus in the world, the everlasting light, to shine light on our story or our past. And many of you have a past that you're not so proud of. Many of us have a past that we're not so proud of. And we've done things and we, maybe we've experienced this, things uh, that really kind of uh, make us discouraged or maybe even perhaps depressed about our past and our story. Let me tell you something. Um, Jesus came into this world to shed light on your story, no matter how deplorable you think that story is. God can use all the experience of your past to develop and to plan and prepare you for the future. And so we looked at those couple things, and over the course of these last few weeks, the application has been a little more specific for those um, who may have come in here who uh, are skeptics or questioning God or really have questions about the Christmas story in general. Today we switch gears a little bit, and today's message is, is really a little more geared towards those of you who already have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we talk about the future I want to talk about what the everlasting light has to do with our future. It's interesting because last week we began with a premise, and the premise was is that our past often leads to discouragement and depression and despair. Well, this week as we consider the future, I want us to um, have a mindset and have a thought in our minds that we often are very unrealistic about the future, aren't we? We're, we're usually, uh, very, as humans, we're very unrealistic about what the future holds. It's, it's interesting. It seems like the pendulum of our thoughts about the future kind of swings one way or another, and it leads to us being very unrealistic about the future. Th think about this for a moment. A pendulum is an object that has a fixed point, and underneath it swings something that goes to one extreme or the other. And that's often how we think about our future. For instance, oftentimes we have an unrealistic view about the future because we get caught up in an over-optimism about the future. Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> You're overly optimistic about your future. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Okay. So sometimes we do have an overly optimistic view of the future. For instance, if, if you grew up and maybe um, you grew up in a musical household and you sang a song once when you were like 12 years old in public and somebody came up to you, and by the way, the Reed girls did an incredible job, didn't they, this morning? Awesome. Thank you. Nicole and Lauren and Stephanie for sharing uh, your gift. And I'm not talking about you when I use this example. But sometimes some of you grew up in a musical home and you sang once in your life. And one person in your life, like one person in like 18 years or 12 years or something like that said, you did a great job singing. You've got a great voice. And all of a sudden you want to be on American Idol. And unfortunately you'll end up on the first few weeks of the American Idol and not the last few weeks of American Idol. Some of you, like myself, um, had a good golf game at like 12 and 13 and 14, and like two or three people said, man, you're destined to be a golfer. And you're like, yeah, I'm going on tour one day, PGA tour, here I come. And sometimes we have an overly optimistic view about the future. Some of you are planning your whole financial future 
on, you're kind of banking on the fact that you have a rich uncle somewhere. And that rich uncle is going to give you an inheritance down the road someday. And so you're mortgaging your present, you're mortgaging your future because you really believe that you have a rich uncle. You're overly optimistic about your future because A, you don't have a rich person in your family at all, and you really don't even have an uncle. (laughs) And so we have this pendulum of swinging towards the fact that we have an overly optimistic view about our future. And then there's kind of things on the other end of the spectrum. We, we have an overly pessimistic view or overly negative view about what the future holds. And it leads to a lack of vision in our lives. We think the future is depressing or we think the future is discouraging. Or because we don't know the future, we fear the future. And so we have a negative view of what we think our future is going to be like. We're pessimistic and we're myopic and we have a lack of vision, maybe because of something that's happened in our past or something that's happened to us that we've experienced. We have a negative view of what the future is like. Sometimes we connect with those who are disproportionately negative about the future. There have been a lot of people throughout history that you may know of who have been negative about the future. In fact, I want to give you three examples of people in their field of study or their field of expertise or their occupation who were negative about the future that they were involved with because they lacked vision and they were overly pessimistic about the future. Lee DeForest, I want you to hear about Lee DeForest. He was the inventor of the cathode ray, uh, ray tube. He was a man who is literally considered the father of radio and the grandfather of television. He invented the tube that eventually went into the tube TV. Okay, in 1926, here's what Lee DeForest said about television. He said, theoretically, television may be feasible, but I consider it an impossibility, a development which we should waste a little time dreaming about. Lee got it right on, didn't he? No, he got it completely wrong. He had an overly pessimistic view about the future in a future that was in his own field of study. He was one of the ones who invented what would eventually become the tube TV, which led to our flat screen TVs today. Some of you are like, what's a tube TV? (laughs) And I just dated myself again. Here's another one. This is great. Thomas J. Watson, the chairman of the board of IBM. IBM stands for, just as a caveat here, international what? Business machines, okay? International business machines. Here's what Tom Watson, Thomas J. Watson said in 1943. He said, I think that there is a world market for about five computers. Wow. International business machines. And Tom J. Watson, Thomas J. Watson, had a very myopic view, a very overly pessimistic view about the future of his own company. Here's here's another one. It's reported that a nameless recording company expert said this in 1962. 1962. He said, we don't think the Beatles will do anything in their market. And he followed it up by saying, guitar groups are on their way out. (laughs) I love that. Isn't that great? You see, we tend to have this swing of the pendulum. We either are 
overly optimistic about our future or we're overly pessimistic about our future. What in the world does all of this have to do with Christmas? Here's the point. If Jesus Christ, the everlasting light, the Son of God, is not our fixed point in our life, we will tend to be overly optimistic or overly pessimistic about our future. You see, if we make anything else in our lives, Christ follower, our central focus, if we make anything else our fixed point on the pendulum, we too will be trapped by being overly optimistic or overly pessimistic about what the future holds. But if we have Jesus as our everlasting light, we can have optimism about the future because he gives us promise and hope. And he's the one that gives us a future. He is the one that sheds light on our future. Take a look at your notes, if you would, with me this morning. Point number one, we're just going to dive right in. Unfulfilled expectations in our lives can cause us to be cynical of what the future holds. Unfulfilled expectations in our lives can cause us to be cynical about what the future holds. I want to ask you a question this morning. I'm going to ask you to respond to this, either raise your hand or not raise your hand. How many of you have been disappointed in your life? (laughs) Okay, great. If you didn't raise your hand, I would love to talk to you afterwards because I want to learn from you. So anyway, I think we all have been disappointed at some point in our lives. We've had expectations that didn't go the way that we wanted, right? Many of you are coming off of the heels of a recession that has decimated you and or your business. And you have an overly pessimistic view or cynical view about the future because of what you've experienced in the past. You're not alone in terms of your pessimism, pessimism about the past. John the Baptist's mom and dad had a terribly pessimistic view about the future until the angel Gabriel visited them one night. It's a part of the Christmas story, even if it's an obscure part of the Christmas story, that I believe will help us understand how the everlasting light shines on our future. The first few verses of Luke's gospel introduces us to John the Baptist, and it's interesting because he spends the first few verses talking about John the Baptist's parents, and he says that they're righteous, that they're faithful people, that they were godly, uh, they were a godly man and woman, but they had one little thing in their life that was wrong. But it was a big deal. Verse 7 says, But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. When he saw this angel, and fear fell upon him. It's interesting. It starts right out by saying how faithful they were, what godly men and women they were, but it says they, they didn't have any children. You see, in that day and age, that was a big deal. In fact, that was the biggest deal. You could have great financial success. You could have great wealth. You could have great business success. You could have great education success in that day and age, but if you didn't have kids, it was really thought of in society in that day and age of, as literally having nothing. Like if you didn't have a family, if you didn't have children, it was a blemish on who you were. 
Now, for Luke to mention that in the first part of this, it must have been a sore subject for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It must have been something that John's parents really were bothered by. It wasn't very common that you would have people that didn't have children, and so they were bothered by it. But the angel came and told Zechariah that he and his wife, that his wife would give birth to a son. And he was very specific in his instructions. He told him to name him John and that he would be the forerunner of Jesus. Now, there's a couple things about Zechariah that we just saw there. Verse 7, it's interesting, says uh, that, uh, that he was troubled when he saw him. Or excuse me, verse 12 says he was troubled when he saw him. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel and fear fell upon him. And then Gabriel, that angel, begins to unpack what's about to happen to him. And he explains that his wife is going to give birth to this person that he wants him to name John. Angel, the Gabriel, said that he is a messenger from God. And so, of course, Zachariah is going to believe him, right? But the verse 12 says he was gripped with fear. You see, I think sometimes when um, we find out that there might be hope about the future, we might be gripped with an excitement and maybe a a new hope about the future, but there's also this, this kind of weird element of fear that we have about the future, isn't there? You remember the day that you found out about your first job? Like, you were excited about it, but there was a bit of fear about it. I remember the first day that Cynthia and I found out that in 2004, that we were going to have Sydney, our first child. And, and I was scared. I mean, I was happy. I did the right thing. I was happy. But I was scared to have a child. And so there's fear sometimes about the future. Zachariah senses fear and has this emotion of fear when the angel Gabriel came upon him. And then to consider the fact that not only is he fearful about the future, but he's fearful that this may not be the right information. Verse 18 says this, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? He says to Gabriel, for I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now we already learned that she's barren. Now Zechariah states that his wife is old. I'm sure that if she was around He would have gotten in trouble for that one, right, guys? So he's kind of telling Gabriel, this messenger from God, that, listen, I don't know if this is right. Gabriel, I think you got the wrong guy. I think you missed who you were supposed to talk to because my wife is old, I'm old, and she's barren. I don't think that you have the right person. Well, the story goes on. And much to everyone's surprise, nine months later, Elizabeth gives birth to John, the forerunner. Luke one twenty five, she says this, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. You can just sense that Elizabeth and Zechariah are, are, are consumed and maybe concerned with the fact that they never had children. And here out of the blue, one day when Zechariah as a priest is leaving the temple, this angel shows up, all these people are around, and all of a sudden he finds out that they're having children at this age. He doubted a messenger from God. And I think that you and I might doubt a messenger from God too. I think we might be overcome with fear if we were in Zachariah's shoes. See, sometimes even when it looks like God is shining on our future, we still have doubt and cynicism, don't we? We have unfulfilled expectations in our lives that cause us to be cynical 
about what the future holds. It's just part of being human that we're cynical about the future, even when it looks like the future may be hopeful. Secondly, this morning, we must realize something else. Even when we know that God has done something amazing in the past, we sometimes doubt that he can do it again. Even when we know that God has done something amazing in the past, we sometimes doubt that he can do it again. I want to pick up the story from where Zachariah was questioning Gabriel in verse 19. I want you to look at how he doesn't believe God for the impossible for a period of time. Verse 19, and the angel answered him, said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news to you. <laughs> you know, Gabriel's saying, hey, Zachariah, man, this is good news. <laughs> Don't freak out about this. This is a good thing that I'm telling you from God. Verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. I picture like after the temple is closing, Zechariah walks out and all these people are around and this angel shows up and the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Why is he staying in there so long? An angel came to visit him. You would stay in there long too. They were waiting for him to come out. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Experts tell us that Elizabeth and Zechariah lived on the outskirts of Jerusalem. So he began to walk home that day. And after these days, it says in verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept hiding Herself. She kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. So here is Zechariah, concerned about the fact that he doesn't have any children. And in the middle of church one day, or after church one day, an angel shows up and delivers news that not only is his wife going to have a child, but this child would be an important part of the God-man story. And Zechariah has such a difficult time understanding and believing that this could happen that the angel Gabriel says, guess what? For the whole time of your wife's pregnancy, you're going to not be able to speak. So Zechariah probably learned a lot about listening during that period of time, didn't he, ladies? He doubts that God can work in the impossible. But you know, sometimes we're there too, aren't we? I mean, we can believe God for what we can dream up in our minds. We can believe God for what we can conceive in our minds. We believe God for what is possible, but when it comes to that thing in your life that is impossible or that is inconceivable, we doubt that God can come through. And I don't know what it is for you today that you're concerned about or have fear about the future, whether it's a relationship that gives you great fear about the future, or whether it's a financial thing that has happened in your past that gives you great fear about the future. Maybe you're here today, and when Sunday comes to an end, you dread it because you have to go back to work on Monday morning. And your future is dark because your career seems overwhelming or your work environment seems oppressive. 
and of the list of things that you think that God can intervene on, it's the very last thing that you believe that he can intervene on. I want you to hear something this morning. Our God, the one that brought Jesus to this world to save the world, he deals in the realm of the impossible and the inconceivable. He doesn't deal just with what's possible, although he does that. He doesn't deal with what is conceivable, although he does that. But we can believe, you can believe God for the impossible. You see, you don't have to hang your hat on a fixed point that offers you no hope or offers you over-optimism or over-pessimism. You can hang your hat and you can bank your future if you're a Christ follower on the fact that the everlasting light came to this world not only to shed light on humanity, not only to shed light on your story in the past, but he came to light up your future. Regardless of how depressing you think your future may be, God deals in the realm of the impossible. The Christmas story is the definition of the impossible. A virgin young girl gave birth to the Savior. God deals in the realm of the impossible. God allowed on the other end of the spectrum an old barren woman to give birth to the forerunner of Jesus Christ. God deals with the impossible. And wherever you are today with whatever circumstance gives you great fear about the future, God can deal in that impossibility. And you can trust him because of what he has done in the past. Right in the middle of these two stories that are kind of happening at the same time, or at least how Luke, the doctor, is telling these stories, you have this verse that for some of you, you need to put this on your refrigerator. You need to put it somewhere where you can see it each and every morning, maybe put it in your car. It says that for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible for God. So if you're a Christ follower here today and you believe the Christmas story to be true, then you absolutely should have hope for the future. Not an over-optimism based on something the world says or that your parents say or that teenagers your friends say or that adults your friends say. And you don't have to be overly pessimistic because somebody told you you're not good enough. You can have a real sense that there is hope for the future because of the everlasting light shines light on the future. He's a God of the possible and the conceivable, but he's also a God of the impossible and the inconceivable. You're impossible and you're inconceivable. So we first have unfulfilled expectations in our lives, and that can cause us to be cynical about what the future holds. And secondly, we know, even when we know God has done amazing things in the past, we sometimes doubt that he can do it once again And lastly, regardless of how we feel about the future, as Christ followers, we have the responsibility. We have the responsibility to trust and follow God with everything that we are, with all of our hearts. We have the responsibility to trust and follow God with all of our hearts. Take a look at how the story ends, because it didn't end with just the birth of John. 
It ends with Elizabeth and Zechariah, that priest, being completely obedient to what God said. Take a look at verses 58 through 64 of Luke 1. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. They were excited for her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have, I want you to capture that, they would have called him Zechariah after his father. They would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Now you see, in that day and age, if you had a son, a firstborn son, you absolutely named him after yourself. You didn't pick another name. And certainly those who had an angel appeared to them and told them to name that son a certain name, in this case, John, you didn't do that because your culture said that you name him after you. So take a look at what happens. And they said to her, verse 61, none of your relatives is called by this name. All these busybodies wanting to pick the name of this child. And they made signs to his father. You see, they go even a step further. Like, hey, John, we know you can't talk, so we're going to use some sign language. Or Zachariah, sorry. Zachariah, we're going to use some sign language here to confirm. Is that right? Is your wife right? Is John his name? Because that certainly, certainly isn't part of our culture. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. <laughs> I love that part of that verse. Like all the busybodies just kept on wondering, I can't believe his name's John. How dare they? They can't name him, John. Can't believe it. Cynthia and I, when we had Sean, he was born in 2007. We were living in New York City at the time. And he was, he was born in February, and um, it, I remember it was snowy, it was cold. It was one of those winter days in New York City. And I remember the day after he was born, meeting with the, the lady in the hospital, the administrator, who does the Social Security information, and she asked his name. And I said, his name is going to be Sean, S-E-A-N, the Gaelic spelling, kind of the Irish, because I've got Irish history, and so I wanted to use that spelling. We wanted to use that spelling. And his middle name will be David. And she dropped her pen, and she looked at me, and she goes, you can't do that. <laughs> I said, what do you mean I can't do that? She goes, you can't name him Sean David. And I said, I think this tag says I'm the dad. I'm pretty sure I can pick his name. I can't leave the hospital with him, but I can pick his name, right? I said, what, what do you, why do you, do you say that? And she goes, well, Sean is Irish, and David is Hebrew. You can't do that. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can. And I'm pretty sure David has been borrowed over the years a few times from other cultures. She gave me a hard time. I kind of understood what they were going through in this situation. They had people trying to pull them. Don't miss this. They had people trying to pull them away from what God had told them to do. People will do that, won't they? They will do that all the time. Students, parents, kids alike. People will try to pull us in the opposite direction of obedience and faithfulness to God. And one of the things that I see over and over and over again in the church, in my life and those that I come in contact with, is that when we're in crisis, when we're despaired and hopeless about the future, and God intervenes on our behalf, we go right back to, once he intervenes and takes care of all of our problems, we go right back to that point of disobedience with God. And when we do that, we relegate what he's done to a good luck charm. 
We do that with God sometimes, don't we? Like, I want God to intervene on my behalf to give me a better future, but I certainly, once he does that, will put him back on the shelf and get him out for the next time that I need him. You see, the story of God's everlasting light shining on our future ends with our obedience and faithfulness to him. It's a huge part of the story. It's a huge part of Zechariah and Elizabeth's story. Even in the face of tremendous doubt, of tremendous pressure, they did what God told them to do, and they named John, they named their son John. Would have been weird if we had said Zechariah the Baptist, wouldn't it? All these years. They did what God wanted them to do. You see, it's all about us coming back and making Jesus the everlasting light, our fixed point in our life. Of leaning on him for our future and for our hope. And in our darkest days, in our darkest nights, coming back to he and his word to help us determine what the future is going to be like. We're limited in our minds. We can't know the future. But you know what we can know? We can know that we can have hope in this life and the next if we put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, the one that came to save humanity from their sins. I had a, I had a night where my future looked hopeless. I was 26 years old. When I was 16 years old, I was at a camp and I felt like God was calling me clearly to go into full-time Christian service. I didn't know if that was in the mission field. I didn't know if it was a, as a pastor. But I heard and sensed a clear call from God to go in the ministry. I went home. I told my, my youth pastor, who was Jeff Cranston, who is, who is the, now the pastor. He's the pastor of the church that helped us get started at Low Country Community Church. And Jeff helped me work through all of that. He helped me get on the right path to determine what God wanted for my future. But when I left for college, I had strayed from that because I had people in my life that pulled me, that caused me to doubt that calling in my life. And for 10 years of my life, I walked in disobedience, so much so that I met a girl in college and married her, and I never told her that I was called into the ministry. She thought she was marrying a lawyer, didn't she, Cynthia? And one night, when I was depressed about my future because I wasn't succeeding in what I was involved with in that day and time at 26 years old, and things were bad in our family and our marriage, I was depressed, discouraged, the future looked dark. We were cleaning out one night, and Cynthia found a box of letters. And in that box of letters contained a letter from my grandmother who passed away a few years back. And that letter was written in the few days following that weekend that I was called into the ministry. And she wrote in that letter how excited she was about my call in the ministry and how she was praying that I would be obedient to that call in the ministry. And late that night, I had to confess to my wife that God called me in the ministry. And I remember sitting there and praying about what God was doing with our life. And that night, in the middle of the night, I got back to the point where God was my fixed point for my life. 
And I got back to the point where Jesus, the everlasting light, could shine light on my future. And you may be in here today, and the future is incredibly discouraging. It's dark, just like mine was at 26. And it may not be a surprise birth like it was for Zachariah and Elizabeth. And it may not be a letter like it was for me. But it may be in subtly getting yourself back to having Jesus Christ, the one who brought everlasting light into the world, to be your fixed point in your life. If you're in here today and you're doubtful and you're discouraged and you're fearful about the future, I want to encourage you, if you're a Christ follower, get back to the point where Jesus is the focal point of your future. And if you're in here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, what a great time to say yes to him, Christmas time, 2013. Father God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus not only to die for our sins, not only to bring light into a dark world, but God, you brought Jesus in to shed light and to shine light on our past and on our story. But God, you also brought Jesus into this world to shine light on our future. God, I pray for those who are in here who don't have a future because they don't know you as their Savior. If you're in here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to encourage you to do that right now. I want to encourage you to say yes to him. And so just in this moment, I just feel led to do this right now in this moment in our, in our service. Um, I just want to invite you to, to pray a prayer. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, I want to invite you to, to pray a prayer in sincerity in your heart to God. It's a prayer that goes something like this, and you can follow along silently in your heart. God, thank you for making me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Today I confess my sins, and I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. Help me to have hope for the future because of the decision I just made. If you're in here today and you just prayed that prayer just in the quietness of this room, I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand so I can pray for you. I won't embarrass you, I promise. Just slip up your hand. Anyone in here, pray that prayer along with me. And Father God, I pray for those who are in here. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. You can put your hand down. Thank you very much. Anyone else, pray that prayer. God, I thank you. I pray for those who are in here today and they're discouraged about their future. God, they accepted you as their Savior weeks, months, maybe even years ago. But they've drifted a little bit. They've allowed society and their friends and other influence to determine what their future is going to be. And God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus right now that you would allow them to get back to center where they can have the everlasting light, not just light for a few moments, not light that will give them an over-optimism or an over-pessimism about the future, but God, a light that comes from you, the very source of light, John says. And God, I pray for those who are in here today who are Christ followers, who are discouraged, terribly discouraged about the future. God, may they do the things necessary in their life to get back to the point where you, the everlasting light, 
is their fixed point. God, thank you so much for coming to this earth. Thank you so much for shining light on our future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.